Welcome to Misunderstood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Sloan. A few reminders as we begin. I am not an expert, just a person like you, living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other care providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and pattern-finding obsession. While the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I am not a doctor. My intention is that you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor regarding your future care options. And lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS, but what you choose to do with that information is always your choice, and what works for one may not work for all. Last week, we talked about what it's like to receive an MS diagnosis. We looked at common misconceptions about MS, the most frequently asked questions about MS, and Christy and I shared a bit with listeners about our own diagnosis experiences. One misconception we talked about was the belief that an MS diagnosis changes everything in our lives. And while it doesn't change everything, it just changed some things. And for me, one thing it's changed a lot is how I view and live during summer. As September begins, many of us across the U.S. and other parts of the world are still experiencing the intense heat of summer, often with elevated humidity. So this week's episode is focused on something a lot of us can relate to right now, sky-high temperatures and humidity, and the impact that can have on those of us living with MS. And this year, more than ever, with the additional stressors 2020 has delivered, dealing with heat and humidity on top of an already stressed out central nervous system, it's no wonder many of us are having a harder time right now. For much of my life prior to my MS diagnosis, I loved summer. It was my favorite season by far. Laying out in the sun with a good book was a favorite pastime, as was kayaking, hiking, playing soccer, or volleyball. Basically, if it was an outdoor activity, I was in. This is the hottest time of the year where I live. For the past month, we've been in the triple digits most days, with a high of 111 last week and expected again this weekend. And this is also the time of year when it gets humid here, in contrast to our typical dry heat. Today, we'll look at how and why both heat and humidity can impact our MS symptoms, as well as some helpful strategies to combat these symptoms. While I knew heat and humidity exacerbated my MS symptoms, Until researching for this episode, I didn't fully understand just how many of our body functions can be impacted, nor the specific reasons why. It's fascinating stuff. I firmly believe knowledge is power, and after listening to this episode, I hope that you, like me, will have a deeper understanding and a better equipped toolbox to better prepare for and react to heat and humidity in the future. My gratitude this week is for our MS-friendly house, 
and specifically our air conditioner and other temperature-related tech devices. This is the first house I've lived in with air conditioning. Where I lived before, we could never afford it other than a one-room portable AC unit. And wow, it changes everything. I finally truly understand that air conditioning is a medical necessity. I honestly don't know how I used to live without it. It's no wonder I was so miserable and my symptoms were so much worse back then. Usually this time of year, I can get outside for a brief respite and my daily dose of vitamin D in the early mornings and late evenings before and after the day's heat. But with the fires raging all around the state, resulting in our local air quality in the high 500s, which is off the charts highly hazardous, I've spent pretty much all of the past two weeks indoors, and we've been unable to open windows at night to cool things off, so we've been relying on our air conditioner quite heavily, not to mention our HEPA filters. While it may seem silly to some for this episode's gratitude to be for my air conditioner, for me, it's truly been a lifesaver this summer. Did you know that most electric companies offer a discount called Medical Base Allowance that allows people with MS-related heat sensitivity to receive more electricity at a much lower cost rate? Check it out. And if you live somewhere where it makes sense to consider solar, go for it. We had ours installed this past January, and since the beginning of February, we haven't had a bill yet to pay because we are generating more than we are using. To date, we have generated 11.6 megawatts of energy, saved 425 trees, and offset 8.5 tons of carbon dioxide and 963 kilograms of gas. It's great that in taking better care of ourselves, we're also helping the environment by living more sustainably. I'll share a little more here about solar because it has been so positive for us and I wish I had known a few things sooner. Like, there are a lot of incentives and payment plans to make solar more affordable. And you can either buy or lease the panels, which impacts the cost substantially. Most states currently offer nice tax rebates as well, and they significantly increase the value of our homes. We went with a local company because we liked their panel configuration a bit more for our home, and we like to choose local whenever possible. But we also met with Sunrun, who partners with Costco and is widely available. Their offerings and customer service were impressive as well. And remember I mentioned this is the hottest part of the year for us? To keep me comfortable, our electric bill last year for this month was just shy of $500, and that's with the medical baseline allowance rate adjustments. It's such a miracle to me that this time of year, we are still generating more than we are using. Solar is going to pay for itself in no time at all at that rate. We also love our Nest thermostat. It helps us keep comfortable while automatically preparing for and then avoiding high usage times, which maximizes our solar savings. All of these devices can be managed remotely via apps on our phones, so even if I'm away from home, I can plan accordingly and ensure it will be comfortable when I get there. I'm so grateful for this helpful technology, and that it was super easy to install, that helps keep me comfortable when the heat is unbearable outside. It certainly makes living with MS a lot easier. 
Thank you, technology, and my installation guy, Eric. Thanks, babe. It's hot. My vision is spotty. My right jaw and cheek feel weird. My forearms and hands are experiencing odd sensations and are not working as reliably as usual. My left quad feels like a swarm of angry hornets and buzzes with every step, and the swarm gets even angrier when I lay down to try to sleep. My forearms and hands aren't comfortable touching even the softest of fabrics, and my hands feel like spongy Twinkies covered in sandpaper when I wash my face. My body hurts. I experience increased fatigue, spasticity, and more frequent and intense MS hug. My balance is off. I ran into another wall last week. I'm moody and less able to maintain my sunny disposition. Sleep is more elusive. What is going on, you ask? Heat intolerance. These are some of the many symptoms and sensations that I experience with heat intolerance. Luckily, it's not usually all of them at once, but even one is enough to have a negative impact on my daily quality of life. Did you know that over 80% of people living with MS experience temporary worsening of neurological symptoms with heat exposure? This includes impaired control of autonomic functions, such as heart rate, blood pressure, respiration, digestion, and sexual functions, as well as endocrine functions, which are the various glands that produce hormones that regulate things like our metabolism, growth and development, tissue function, sexual function, sleep, reproduction, and mood. So heat sensitivity is no joke, as it can impair a lot more of our body functions than we might realize. Those of us with MS who experience heat sensitivity experience a temporary worsening of our symptoms when the weather is very hot or humid or when we run a fever. The rise in body temperature causes what is called a pseudo-exacerbation, which is a term used to describe a temporary flare-up of MS symptoms due to another medical event such as illness, change in temperature, or infection. The temporary changes caused by temperatures can result from even a slight elevation in core body temperature, even as little as one quarter to one half of a degree. And this is why many of us have both a very narrow range of temperatures that is ideal for us and why so many of us can detect a minute temperature change. This is definitely true for me. My ideal temperature is 68 degrees. When it hits 70, I start to feel it. And where do I feel it? In some or all of the places I mentioned before. And all of those are the parts of me that MS previously attacked years ago now. I'm grateful with relapsing remitting MS that I recovered almost fully from those attacks. Yet it's a vivid reminder of those horribly challenging times each time I get to revisit those feelings when it's hot. My heart goes out to those of us who live with progressive MS, most of whom don't experience the relief remission of symptoms brings, and only a worsening of symptoms when exposed to heat and humidity. I should also say that it's not only hot and humid summer weather that can cause these issues. It might also happen during exercise, 
in a slightly too warm shower, bath, or hot tub, after too big of a meal, or even during a very stressful time. Even fluctuations in circadian body temperature throughout the day can elicit changes in symptoms for some people. For me, my symptoms can also be triggered if I go somewhere warm with the heat on above 70 degrees, or if I get overheated by wearing too many layers even in winter. I've definitely become a master at layering as a result. And if you've never given yourself a cold blast at the end of a shower, it can be a lifesaver. For me, as someone that prefers a warm shower, that cold blast rejuvenates me just enough to allow me to blow dry my hair without overheating, which was previously an issue for me. So let's learn a little more about heat intolerance today. We think our diagnosis experiences are rough. Well, sadly, not much has changed over time. And in fact, back in the 1800s, long before MRIs, the hot bath test was the most commonly used test to diagnose MS. A person suspected of having MS was immersed in a very hot tub of water, and the appearance of or worsening of neurologic symptoms was taken as evidence the person had MS. The most common heat-related symptoms for those of us living with MS are fatigue, which 70% of folks with MS experience with heat exposure. Increased pain, blurred vision, also referred to as Uthoff's phenomenon. Muscle weakness, problems with balance or walking, which can sometimes lead to an increase in falls. Trouble with our bowels or bladder, and difficulties with focus and memory. Kind of important stuff, huh? The good news is that heat-related symptoms are temporary and do not cause more disease activity in the form of demyelination or damage to the nerves themselves. The symptoms improve after we cool down, and most of us report this takes about an hour for recovery to begin. We'll get into some cooling strategies in a bit, but first, let's look a little deeper at why so many of us experience heat sensitivity. Most of us know that MS damages the protective sheath called myelin that is around our nerve cells and in our brain and spinal cord. This slows down nerve signals, so our body doesn't always respond the way it should. Heat can slow or impede these signals even more. So the more myelin we've had damaged or eaten away by our immune system, the worse we are likely to be in the heat. Areas that may be damaged, for instance, but not enough to be a persistent problem, suddenly become problem areas when the temperature rises. MS can also affect the part of our brain that controls our body's temperature. If we develop MS lesions in areas of our brain, like the hypothalamus, that are responsible for the control and regulation of body temperature and thermoregulatory responses, that can result in impaired neural control and impact the functionality of our sweat glands. Fatigue during times of thermal stress is common in MS and results in temporary decreased motor function and increased symptoms due to impairments in nerve conduction. 
It's important to note that some folks with MS also notice similar impairments with cold weather, with the most common cold weather triggered symptom being increased spasticity. If you are someone that is sensitive to temperature, it's best to avoid extremes at both ends of the spectrum as much as possible. The human body comes naturally equipped with a cooling system. One of the key ways the body regulates temperature is through sweating. It does this through the process of evaporative cooling. You may have heard of cooling towels, like frog togs, that advertise the ability to cool us through evaporative cooling. I've used them quite successfully in dry heat, but they don't work well in humid situations, the whys of which we'll get to shortly. Evaporative cooling works like this. Our sweat, which leaves the body in liquid form, changes into a gas or vapor by shedding molecules into the air. These molecules draw heat from the hotter air, cooling them down as the liquid and air find an equilibrium. This results in cooling of the surface where the liquid was, because the hotter molecules of that liquid are more likely to escape into the air and become vapor first. When we sweat, our bodies are taking advantage of this process. But what happens when our body's ability to cool in this way malfunctions? Since increases in skin blood flow and sweating are the primary heat dissipation mechanisms in humans, when these mechanisms fail us, our internal body temperatures can reach the upper safe limit within 10 minutes of even moderate exercise. So it's no wonder that many folks with MS struggle with exercise, even if highly active prior to our MS onset. Based on the severe consequences that may occur with elevated body temperature in MS, control of skin blood flow and sweating are crucial to our safety. Lesions affecting these mechanisms can impair our thermoregulatory responses in our sweat glands. And studies have shown that diminished sweating responses is there in many people with MS and in increased levels in people with more severe cases of the disease. So it makes sense why we struggle so much more with heat than other folks and why we need to take heat exposure maybe a little more seriously than we currently do. Let's take a few minutes to look specifically at increased humidity, since studies have shown that humidity can be extremely devastating to those of us living with MS, even when the ambient temperature is still fairly mild. An increase in humidity alone is enough to raise our body temperature and bring about a rapid worsening of symptoms and loss of functionality. So what is it that makes humidity such a big problem? We know that the more humid it is, generally, the warmer we feel. There's even the heat index scale, which takes the temperature and relative humidity and figures out what the temperature actually feels like to us. So higher humidity makes us feel warmer, but why? We talked earlier about how sweating cools us down. And this body system's ability to regulate temperature is negatively impacted by MS degeneration, resulting in impaired sweat functionality. 
So here is where humidity becomes a real problem. Humidity can be thought of as simply the amount of water vapor in the air. The higher the humidity, the more of that water vapor is present. The more water vapor that is already in the air, the less it can accept through evaporation. This means that we can sweat and sweat, but because there is already so much moisture in the air, it's already saturated and it can't evaporate. And so the process of sweating can no longer cool us down. So the higher the humidity, the worse our body is at being able to cool itself and regulate its own temperature. This is a double whammy if our body regulation system is already not functioning when it's not humid. Humidity can make everything much worse, so it's important that we be extra diligent with our self-care when it's humid. Okay, so now we know why and how heat and humidity impact us, but what to do about it? Let's look at some tried and true ways that can help us better manage. And first, it's important to mention that keeping a symptom journal can help us each to identify our own personal triggers. I like the free My Symptoms app because it's convenient and I can personalize how I use it to meet my needs. I use this app for all of my MS symptoms, from weird reactions to food, environmental symptoms like allergies, to medication side effects like flushing. This app is great because it can also generate reports, which I can email to myself or my doctors, which makes it easier for all of us to see patterns in the data, which often leads to answers, which often gratefully leads to solutions. I also want to say here how important it is for us to share this information about heat exposure with our loved ones. It's important they know that it's not only heat, but also humidity that can impact us. And if they are more aware of this, planning future events together can become much easier because they will better understand and take our medical needs into account. So, what can we do when we experience worsening symptoms due to heat or humidity exposure? Keep track of which of these methods resonates with you as we go through them. First, remain calm. We know that stress only exacerbates all of our MS symptoms. So reminding ourselves that pseudo-exacerbations are temporary and will improve typically within an hour of using deliberate cooling strategies should help ease our nerves, literally. So take a few deep breaths, rest up, and do something that makes you calm. Number two, pay attention to how we feel. This is something I'm getting much better at since MS is such an effective teacher in this way and will just keep yelling louder if I don't listen. I will say, however, that this didn't come naturally to me. In fact, my lifestyle habits of pushing pain or personal needs aside, like eating or using the restroom, while I focused on work or other things that I at the time deemed more important, actually caused me to desensitize myself to the natural messages our bodies send us when we are experiencing distress. I actually had to retrain myself to learn to listen and to employ basic self-care strategies. At first, this meant setting a lot of alarms on my phone. There's another great free app called Alarmed 
that makes this exceptionally simple. Still, years later, I have alarms set for several times a day to remind me to drink water and do some deep breathing exercises. When I first started being able to work in the yard again, I also had to set alarms for every 20 minutes so I wouldn't overdo it. I would stop, drink some water, and sit for a moment to assess if I could handle another 20-minute chunk. I'd often stretch a bit, too, so I could more accurately assess how my body was feeling. Once I started using this technique, I experienced much less physical pain because I learned to work within my limits, which actually allowed my abilities to grow over time, which has been wonderful instead of adding to my list of ailments like physical labor had done for me for so long. I now actually believe that a root cause for MS, at least for me personally, was that I forgot how to listen to my body and treat it nicely. When I honor my entire body's needs, mental and physical, I am happier and healthier. So, what alarms or reminders could you set to help you better listen to your body and mind? Keep that in mind as you listen to the rest of these strategies and be thinking which you might like to employ to help you better manage heat and humidity exposure. Number three, stay hydrated. You likely know that the human body is made up of 60% water, so we need water to keep us functioning at a cellular level. Water helps us maintain a healthy blood pressure, boosts immunity, flushes toxins from the body, helps to maintain healthier skin, and relieves constipation. Typically, most people are recommended to drink eight glasses of water a day. If we choose to drink coffee or alcohol or tea and other diuretics, we need to increase the amount of water we drink to compensate. Most experts now agree that for optimal health and even increased weight loss, we should drink two-thirds of our body weight in pounds in ounces of water each day. So for instance, a 150-pound person should strive to drink 100 ounces of water each day. You can find a simple calculator online if you want to figure out your personal daily water consumption goals. Also of importance, there's a ton of research out there about what happens to our bodies when we become dehydrated, and it's not pretty. Dehydration, even mild levels, can seriously impact our mood and cognition, and that's for people who don't have MS. To help us know if we're getting enough water, it's wise to keep an eye on our urine. If our urine is clear or pale yellow, we're likely drinking enough. If it's darker in color, we need more water. It's important to mention here that many people with MS suffer from bladder issues such as bladder urgency, frequency of urination, or bladder leakage which often leads people to voluntarily, and maybe even without really thinking about it, to restrict their fluid intake to ease these bladder issues. The real problem with this, however, is that this further impacts our ability to regulate our temperature, specifically through sweating, so it can be extra debilitating during hot, humid months. So drink up. Cheers! And water bottles that keep cold water cold for up to 24 hours actually do work. We love our Yetis and Arctic glasses and coolers. And the fastest way to cool down canned or glass beverages 
Put them in a tub while maintaining a little room between each container. Fill the areas between the beverages with ice. Add a little water to the tub, then sprinkle rock salt over the ice. Salt interferes with water's ability to freeze, so the water around the drinks will actually turn colder than normal. It's definitely the best method to use to cool drinks down really fast. It usually takes only 10 minutes to cool room temperature drinks down to a deliciously frosty and drinkable temperature. Number four, cool down. Ice packs, popsicles, cold showers, all of these are very effective rapid cooling mechanisms. There are some really neat sets of mini gel bead ice packs that are safe to use directly on our skin, especially on our wrists where our blood vessels are very close to the surface, so the cold water can actually cool off our blood a little bit. The cooler blood circulates through our body and we feel cooler in no time. Cooling towels can really help too, as long as it's a dry heat as we talked about before. Know your needs and your environment before investing in evaporative cooling devices because they can be expensive and will only truly work in dry heat conditions. Use air conditioning. It might be expensive, but it's worth it now that we know all the dangers of heat exposure. Consider investing in a cooling vest. There are many different styles to choose from, but they can be expensive. Luckily, several MS organizations offer financial assistance for cooling vests and even free vests for those who qualify. So reach out to them if you're interested. There are also some additional foods that promote cooling. Foods like bananas, lentils, and grapes are astringent, meaning that they help us absorb water, thereby cooling our core temperature over a longer period of time. Frozen grapes are popular for this reason, and other frozen fruits like watermelon, honeydew, or cantaloupe also provide instant cooling effects. Spicy foods can also surprisingly promote cooling for some people. On the topic of food, I'll also mention here that eating light can help. Heavy meals not only heat us up on the inside, but they also typically involve more cooking methods that heat up our homes unnecessarily. Opting for more salads and refreshing fruit during warm seasons can make a big difference. I'll also mention here a helpful tool I use. This spring, Eric got me an air fryer. It has quite unexpectedly become my favorite summer cooking method. Who knew veggie medleys could be so tasty when air fried? A personal favorite recipe is carrot bacon. Yep, carrots that taste like bacon. In about 20 minutes in an air fryer, which doesn't heat up our kitchen at all. A big improvement for my usual favorite method of roasting veggies in a 400 degree oven. Another great cooling tool Often seats in cars now offer not only heating, but cooling options. We have this in our truck, and that cold blast to the middle of my back on hot days is surprisingly rejuvenating. It might be worth the price to consider some of these tools for those of us who experience heat intolerance. I'll also mention here the best way to cool down a hot car quickly. When we first get into our hot car, roll all the windows down. Turn on the AC, but adjust the settings so the air is only coming out of the floor vents. 
This creates an airflow that forces the hot air up and out of the vehicle much faster than normal. Number five, consider changing our schedules. Peak heat times are typically between 2 and 5 p.m. Scheduling activities around those times can really help. I know for me, I have to walk the dog and do my yard work before 10 a.m., or I can get into trouble during hot seasons. It's also important to try to avoid those high-temperature windows when planning social engagements, errands, or other appointments. Knowing the times of day when we are most resilient and most vulnerable can be helpful to take into account for all scheduling purposes. Pre-cooling strategies can also help decrease the impacts of heat. So taking a cold shower or bath before it heats up can offer some protective qualities. There are even studies that show that people with MS can push themselves further without having as many negative results by pre-cooling prior to exercising. We often pre-cool our home before it heats up outside since it's much easier for me to stay cool than recover once I'm overheated. Number six, exercise safely. We all know that exercise has many benefits for us. It helps our balance, strength, mood, and overall health, to name a few. But in the context of today's topic, it can also raise our core temperature and worsen our symptoms. So exercising safely is really important. Choosing early morning or evening outdoor exercise is wise. Wearing layers, but not too many even when it's cold, can help us better regulate our temperature. Swimming is great for so many reasons, but make sure to swim in an unheated pool. Consider wearing evaporative cooling neck towels like frog togs in dry heat. Carefully choose our active wear. High-tech wicking fabrics are great at keeping us dry, but they do also trap heat. So in extreme heat, clothes and shoes with mesh panels may help as well as loose-fitting clothes that breathe, made of fabrics like cotton, rayon, and linen, which allow air to move freely through the fabric, which helps us stay cooler. I'll mention some other cooling clothes here, too. I love my Cuddle Duds layering pieces for all-year wear. Coolabar cooling clothes, the Columbia brand freezer line of clothing, and Soma Cool Nights pajamas. Kohl's makes a great line for men, too, called Cool Keep. Number seven, household habits. There are some lesser-known household strategies for keeping cool that are worth a mention here. Did you know LED light bulbs put out a fraction of the heat of incandescent and compact fluorescent lights? They also last longer and use less energy. Consider unplugging devices when not in use, as they create heat even when we're not using them. Some people even include unplugging devices in their nighttime routines before going to bed. Fans around the house can help us feel cooler because they aid in evaporation. Did you know there is even a fan called a bee fan that sits at the end of your bed and shoots cooling air up under your sheets? They are a little pricey and on back order right now, but it's definitely something I'm considering in the future as it would allow me to use the air conditioning less at night and still maintain my ideal sleeping temperature.
There are also cooling fabrics for sheets and blankets. I have a weighted cooling blanket that I like quite a bit. And sheiks, sheets, are the best in my opinion. Eric is an exceptionally warm sleeper, and even he is able to be comfortable with sheiks wicking sheets. They are costly, but you can always find sales on their website or even at Bed Bath & Beyond. Bonus, the fitted sheet is the only sheet I've ever known that doesn't ever come off the mattress. It's a genius design. All fitted sheets should be designed this way. And I can attest that the sheets do last a very long time. We got our first pair around 2010, and they are still in rotation. There are also cooling pillows and mattress pads available that many people enjoy. A great way to cool outdoor spaces is with misters. This is a highly effective cooling tool in dry heat, and as they have gained popularity over the years, they're now widely available and inexpensive. This is definitely something I'm planning to install soon in our patio area, when it's cool enough to install and less humid. There are also small handheld operated water bottle fans that have a similar impact on a smaller scale, which are nice because they're so portable. I even have one I could carry in my purse. Swamp coolers may also work well in areas of dry heat. My only personal experience with them was in college, but since it was a very humid climate, they didn't help much and often made things worse for me, even decades prior to my MS diagnosis. Number eight, use peppermint essential oil. Peppermint essential oil is one of my favorite oils. I use it in so many ways, and one of those ways is for cooling. Peppermint essential oil contains a significant amount of menthol. Besides its cooling sensation, menthol is known to help relax and ease tension headaches and muscular aches and pains, so it's really helpful for a lot of things. For example, I pop a couple peppermint beadlets most afternoons as it's a great natural pick-me-up caffeine alternative. I also use peppermint successfully topically when I have nerve pain or annoying neurological itching as the cooling dulls the pain or itch on contact. And specifically for cooling, it's great to apply directly to our inner wrists for a pretty quick chill. We can also make a cooling spray that some call air conditioning in a bottle. How to make this homemade peppermint cooling spray? It's so simple. In a glass spray bottle, since some essential oils can erode plastics over time, plus glass is more durable and environmentally friendly, put equal parts distilled water and witch hazel. Add six to eight drops of peppermint essential oil and an equal amount of lavender if you like. Shake vigorously to combine and again before use. Why these ingredients? Witch hazel is an astringent that is cooling and great for our skin. Distilled water dilutes the witch hazel so we don't have to use as much, which saves money. Peppermint essential oil contains menthol, which has powerful natural cooling properties. And lavender essential oil is soothing and calming for the skin, plus smells great and reduces stress. This cooling spray can be used on tired, achy feet to revive and refresh them. You can spray on the back of your neck or chest to help you cool down. 
it's also a great idea to store this spray in the refrigerator for extra cooling power. It feels even better going on the skin when you get the double hit of the cold spray, plus the cooling powers of the witch hazel and peppermint. There are several precautions to always remember when working with essential oils. First of all, do not spray on your face or anywhere near your eyes. Also, do not use too much peppermint essential oil. Essential oils are heavily concentrated, and peppermint is a strong oil, and it takes only a few drops to get the cooling effect. If you use too much, and especially if you don't use a high-quality essential oil like doTERRA, you may experience an unpleasant burning sensation. If this ever happens to you with any essential oil, I'd like to mention here what to do. Rub a natural carrier oil, like coconut or olive oil, over the area of the skin that is affected. The carrier oil will dilute the essential oil and soothes the skin. Don't use water. Since oil and water don't mix well, you won't achieve the same dilutive relief as with a carrier oil. If you like the concept of a cooling spray, but don't like the hassle of acquiring all the necessary ingredients and components, know that aloe vera gel cools skin about five degrees on contact, so that can work in a pinch as well, and is why it's so widely used to treat sunburns. We can even store our lotions and moisturizers in the fridge during hot months, which turns them into chilling relief lotions. Number nine. Utilize cooling breathing techniques. There are actually many ways to intentionally breathe differently that can have a cooling effect. These ancient pranayama techniques help us to create cooling from within our own bodies. We'll likely do an entire episode on breathing at some point because while it's something we do automatically, by paying attention to our breath cycles, it can be a very powerful practice and help us calm the central nervous system and relieve stress. As far as breathing methods for cooling, I'll mention my personal favorite here, and I find this has an even more profound impact when I do it after popping peppermint essential oil beadlets in my mouth. My favorite method is called Sitali, and for me, it really works. For the experiential part of our episode today, try this with me as I explain. Stick your tongue out and curl up the sides of your tongue to make your tongue into the shape of a straw. Breathe in deeply and slowly through your tongue straw. Breathe deeply into your belly. You should feel the coolness on your tongue and in the back of your throat as the air enters your mouth. When you are almost done inhaling, slip your tongue back inside your mouth and seal your lips closed, holding your breath for a moment before exhaling fully through your nose. Repeat this several times. Can you feel it? A special note here is if there is anyone listening who is unable to curl their tongue, no worries. You can modify this method by opening your mouth just enough to show your teeth and breathe in through the sides of your mouth. Then exhale through the nose. This modified method actually works pretty well, and I use it sometimes when I'm somewhere where it might be impolite to stick my tongue out, as the modified version can be done without anyone noticing. 
Sometimes I even alternate between the tongue straw and teeth methods to change things up a bit. I'll mention by name three other breathing techniques that you may want to research more. Another technique is called Nadi Shodana, which is a nostril breathing technique, and Lion's Breath, which is also a great facial stretch, and Panting Dog Breath, which involves releasing heat like dogs do, who cool themselves by sticking out their tongues since they don't sweat like humans do. These methods are widely available with helpful tutorials on YouTube if you're interested in learning more about them. And number 10, consider moving for a more optimal climate. While drastic and sometimes unrealistic, some people actually do move to help alleviate their MS symptoms. If you're considering this, definitely do your homework first. Read up on the annual climate data. It's also highly recommended to visit extensively during all different times of the year first. Pay close attention to high and low temperatures, as well as humidity. Reaching out to the local MS Society support groups or connecting with people on mymsteam.org who live where you are considering moving can also help provide the personal anecdotal experience commentary that can be so helpful when making such a big decision. Also note if you'll be able to afford necessities there, like air conditioning. For me, we could never afford it when we lived before, but moving just a few hours away from the Bay Area enabled us to buy a home that better fits our current and future needs, has dual AC zones, and a plethora of other features and appliances that make living with MS a lot easier. My hope is that after listening to this episode, you feel better equipped to manage heat and humidity so you can limit the negative impacts they may have on us as people living with MS. Did you take note of the strategies that resonated with you? I hope so. The biggest takeaways I hope you leave with today. First, since the vast majority of us, over 80%, will experience temporary worsening of neurological symptoms with exposure to heat and humidity, it's important that we all be prepared for how we will weather the storm, so to speak, and to remember that these symptoms, while unpleasant, are temporary. So it behooves us to stay calm and focus on maintaining our cool, both physically and emotionally. Second, since heat exposure can negatively impact pretty much every body function we rely on, It's imperative that we employ pre-cooling and other cooling strategies before we get overheated to help us maintain as much function as possible. Third, fall officially begins Tuesday, September 22nd, so we're almost there. Hang in there, everyone, and please reach out to let me know how these cooling methods work for you and if you have other methods you would also recommend to listeners. Following this and every podcast, I offer Zoom sessions for our Patreon listeners to discuss the episode's topic together. I hope you'll join us. Become a patron on patreon.com msflock for the Zoom session schedule and invitation links. Membership is only $1 a month to access these important flockings and more content. 
Flock members, I look forward to hearing your personal reflections this Saturday about the ways your body reacts to heat and humidity and how these and other strategies help you maintain your cool. As always, I encourage listeners to reach out to submit questions, comments, future podcast topics, or guest ideas to mymsflock at gmail.com. And lastly, remember, as we travel through life with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together, supporting one another. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay cool and be well. Ah!